If you were not here last week, um, I'm just going to say what I said last week so you guys can have an exit. Uh, we are talking about sexuality, and I try to go PG all the way through, and I said next week uh, we're not going to do PG. <laughs> we're going to go, uh, it's gonna probably going to be rated R, and I will tell you that there is a purpose behind that. Um, so I, what I mean by saying it's going to go rated R is that some of you guys might feel really uncomfortable in this room as we're talking about that. Well, however, I'm up here, and I don't have much sympathy for you. Just to give you a secret of, of me, um, I actually uh, was a sex offender counselor for about 10 years um, in regards to working at um, Hillcrest Juvenile Delinquents, and um, therefore I was working with people that committed the crime, most horrific, disgusting, possible things you could do sexually. Uh, those are the people um, I work with. Um, I remember having a conversation with somebody, and I looked at it and says, all right, now can you please explain to me again what you did to your cat? <laughs> and quite frankly, I had to keep a straight face when it was really, um, <laughs> when I didn't want to keep a straight face. So I'll just tell you that I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> Even if you're not comfortable with it, I'm comfortable with it. So you guys just figure out how we can, <laughs> you guys, I, I'm not worried about you. Now, now I have to also um, have to make the statement that I am concerned, you know, a little bit about you, anybody that needs to go to the bathroom, because I do want to say that if you feel really uncomfortable and you can't take it anymore, you feel free to get up and exit. Um, of course, if somebody needs to go to the bathroom, they'll get up and they'll think, oh boy, everybody thought I was uncomfortable as I stood up and exited. So hopefully you guys have all gone to the bathroom, because we're going to talk um, the way it is, and as we talk the way it is, um, it might be a little bit uncomfortable. Up here, um, the reason why I'm up here instead of down there is because the recordings have been very fuzzy. So since the recordings have been very fuzzy, as people are listening to these, um, it has not been uh, very clear. So I guess, I'm sorry, I've got to come up here now instead of, instead of down there. So that's just the reason why I'm up here. So let's do, um, we're going to do a little bit of review, and we're, we're focusing on specifically the passage in Proverbs chapter 5. But before we get into the passage of Proverbs chapter 5, we just want to make a couple statements. Number one, God did not put the marriage wall did not put the marriage wall around sex to rob us of pleasure but to increase pleasure and protect it if you guys notice that i'm talking on proverbs and the reason uh, preaching on proverbs that's what i uh, preached the last service uh, is that god has your best interest in mind god knows exactly what you want even if you don't think this is what you want he knows exactly what you want therefore he's given us the laws guidelines around sexuality for you to be have a rich marriage, for you to have a rich sex life, for you to have a full sex life, for you to have everything you want in regards to your sex life. Proverbs talks a lot about sex, and the reason why it talks a lot about sex is because this is where we really start thinking, you know, does God really have my best interests in mind? I mean, I have this drive, and with this drive, this drive is telling me something, uh, and God is saying something different, and my argument is this drive in God's opinion. Is God's opinion correct? Does God really want me to, to do this and that and the other? The reason why God wants you to do this, that, and the other and make sure that you stay committed to his plan and his guidelines is because he knows what you want more than you even know what you want. So everything that comes up in regards to sexuality um, is because God wants you to enjoy it. God wants you to love it. God wants you to understand the fullness that it could have inside the covenant that God has designed for it, inside the context that God 
has designed for it. Number two, the Bible says, stay away from sexual sin because it will. Now, we talked about this all last week. If you get involved in sexual sin, this is what it will do. And I'm just completely plagiarizing the Bible and just pulling it out and say, okay, this is what chapter 5 says will happen if you get involved in sexual sin. It will cost you your strength. It will cost you your peace. It will cost you your wealth. It will cost you your energy. It will cost you your reputation. It will cost you your freedom. It will cost you your life. It will bring you to the brink of utter ruin. Where did we get those answers? (laughs) We just pulled out Proverbs chapter 5, and we did half of it last week. If you do not stay under God's guidelines, there is a price, and the price is a lot more expensive than you want to pay. It just is. It's a lot more expensive than you want to pay. And yet, so many of us, according to Proverbs, are walking as if we're walking as an ox to be ready to be slaughtered to an adulterous woman, to somebody else that's not our wife, to somebody else that's not God-given to us. And as we're walking, it's just like getting our head chopped off. And we still walk. We still do it. We still tamper with sexual sin. We still play with it. And there's a price, and the price is heavy. So we're going to do the other half of Proverbs chapter 5. Number three, marriage is described so erotically in the Bible that it is hot to handle. Um, People go, get our children to read the Bible. Please get your children to read the Bible. Study the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Take the Bible. But there's interesting topics in regards to sexuality of how the Bible, um, Bible explains it. The Bible talks about it. And I will tell you that if you studied more than just read, uh, you would be shocked. Um, the Bible is, I'll just say it, it's rated R. Do I tell my kids to read the Bible? Oh boy, I tell my kids to read the Bible. Because you know what? God says it the way it is. Now, I have a purpose this morning, and, and the purpose this morning is often we don't say it the way it is because God, we, we have different things that are inside of us, but God says it the way it is. In fact, he doesn't even water anything down. And when he starts to talk about sex, it gets a little bit crazy. So a little bit crazy, but a little bit strong, a little bit rich. Well, let's look at Proverbs 5, and this is a verse we're going to really focus on. Proverbs five, fifteen. What does it say? Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in public squares, let them be yours and to yours alone, never to be, never to be shared with strangers. And we fly through the book of Proverbs, we read a, pa- a passage every single month, and we just take that and we just, just go right over the top of it. And as we go right over the top of it, it's like, in fact, JB, you memorized that. That's, that's good. Well, I have a different little translation that I'll expand a little bit on it. Look at it really, really close. Do drink water. What's it saying? Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Well, if you look at the word cistern and you look at the word well, it's specifically talking about sexuality. It is specifically talking about woman's sexuality. The word well in the world, the word cistern, is you go into the well. Drink water from your wife in even a sexual way. And then it goes on. Should your springs, what's springs? Springs is now referring to men's sexuality. I'm sorry to get really graphic here, but if you really look at this word, you look at the Bible, 
there is something that is not talking about her personality. And we often think that, oh, it's all about personality, but there is an explanation. There is a description that gives a high view of sex. Talks about drink water from your own system, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets? Talking about men's sexuality. Should your streams of water be thrown out into the public squares? He's trying to tell you. Let them be to yours and yours alone and don't give your springs, sexuality, this is sexuality, to somebody else. When we look at this verse, you know, how are we going to take this verse? The way we should take a verse like this is to say that sex is not shameful. Sex is not something that that we should hide from in a sense of, oh, I don't even want to talk about it. See, what what takes place is that in our minds and in our cultures and our, our families, the word sex is something that you just really don't say out loud in a conservative perspective, in a conservative world. The problem is, is that when our children are growing up, I know you don't want to hear this, but they think about these things, and unfortunately, they are viewing these things in a sense that it is in our hardware. What is God doing? God is trying to make a point that there is something absolutely beautiful about the woman's body, and there's something absolutely, I'm going to hate to say it, I don't know if this is the right word, but majestic in regards to the man's body. There is something absolutely wonderful that is called a gift inside of marriage that you can enjoy, you can have, and you don't have to have guilt. You don't have to have frustration. You don't have to have anger. It's something that is given to you. God is getting getting, um, aggressive in this passage. The reason why he's getting aggressive in this passage is because he wants to make the point. Do you only, you know, in regards to, oh, I just got to not talk about sex in regards to the personality is good, in regards to the relationship is good, but sex doesn't play that big of a role. Sex plays a big role. Number four, sex in context of God's plan will give you the best sex you could ever have. Let's just walk through the verse. Proverbs 5, may your fountain be blessed. Again, we're just looking at this verse in context, talking about fountain What's fountain? Fountain is the male's sexuality. And he wants the person, man, to be filled, to be blessed. May your sexuality be blessed, but it's only going to be blessed underneath God's plan. In other words, I know what is best for you, therefore, sex, I'm describing it with a passion, I'm describing it with clarity, I'm describing how awesome it is, how, how huge it is, and I'm also going to give you the, the plan that's inside of it. If you want everything you want to in regards to sex, understand my plan, understand my will, understand how things should function. I was uh, actually was at Hillcrest, and I went to a break room, uh, Hillcrest Youth Correction Facility, where I used to work, and I went to a break room, and as I went to a break room, um, I sat down on the couch all by myself, and I looked in, and I saw a, a magazine. And on the top of the magazine, it said, who has the best sex? I don't know what magazine it was, you know, like a smut magazine. It's, I mean, not smut, smut magazine. It was, I don't know, I don't even know the magazines that are out there. It was just a regular magazine. But it asked the question, who has the most sex? And the best sex, who has the greatest sex? And I'm like, huh, I wonder what that says. And I'll tell you, I picked it up, and I looked at it, and I, I, I started reading it. Um, and as I started reading it, it was mind-boggling. And the reason why it was mind-boggling is because it described 
The person that has the best sex, the greatest sex, the more sex, is the one that commits themselves to one person for the rest of their life. Now remember, this is a smut magazine. (laughs) But they're going after data. They're going after understanding how the human being works. And as they're going after data, they're trying to figure out who has the most sex. And do you know what was inside of that smut magazine? It was literally God's plan. One woman, one person that you're walking with, one husband, one mate has the best sex, has the most sex, has the greatest sex, has more than anybody else. Now, our culture doesn't say that. Our culture says, you know, go from lady to lady, and, you know, if you're not satisfied here, go to get satisfied here, you know, move here. You know, all these things is what our, our culture is saying. But that is not what data is saying. That is not what study is saying. That is not what research <laughs> is even saying. You know what data study and research is saying? Data study research is saying God has a design that is your best interest in mind. If you look at sexuality, there's different parts, there's different changes. In fact, your life goes through different areas. And just to give you a, um, a chart that it kind of showed, I don't have the chart up here, but they said, when you first get married, they're going to talk about sexuality. It says, when you first get married, um, your sex life is like whew, right here. It's high, it's good, it's erotic, it's exciting, it's wonderful. And it's at a peak. But then all of a sudden, you have a child. You know what happens? It starts, it starts to drop. I remember my wife saying once before that I just feel like I just, I'm a, a feeder more than a sexual person when I had a, a child, and, and I agreed with her. And, I mean, just in a sense, because sex went down, and I knew that it went down, and then it, it drops a second on the next child. And it drops second on the next child. Did you know that when you get married, yes, it's wonderful, but it starts going down, 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 down. And do you know where it's at the bottom? It's at the bottom when your children are in adolescence. I have a 17-year-old, a 13-year-old. <laughs> maybe, this is, maybe this is where it's at. But it's at the bottom when your children are in adolescence because all the pressures and all the stress and all that things start coming the way of the family, and we start going, you know, away from those things. But what's interesting about this chart is that when it's at the bottom during the teenage years of your children, when the kids left the home, it went up almost as high as to when the marriage took place in regards to the honeymoon period. But it's different. It's more whole. It's more complete. It's more satisfying. It's the same act, but there's something that's going on that is rich or something that's going on that's a connection. But do you know what you have to do to get the connection? You have to walk God's plan for your entire life. And when you walk God's plan for your entire life, it will give you everything you've ever wanted. Um, In a study of sexuality, there's a um, guys um, pull their wives, um, move their wives more into a sexual relationship through time. So when you first get married, the wives are, I don't know, you know, in those things. And as one year, two years, three years, five years, ten years, you know, there's still that peace. But as the years go, your wife does what? Are you, what, you, what does a male do to a wife? Moving her to be more of a sexual person. But you know what's interesting is the wives do not move their men into more a sexual person. The wives are moving their men into more of a relational person. You see what's taking place is now they're switching roles. 
You have a sexual guy, and you have a, you know, it's like, I don't know about this so much in regards to uh, ladies, and I'm not saying that this is, you know, exact science, but this is the way it functions, and there's that piece that's going on in a relationship, but then all of a sudden they turn, and I look back at my life, and I see that. Um, I mean, I used to watch a movie and never cry, you know. Now, I have daughters, and I have a wife, and I've been living with them for a lot of years, and now all of a sudden I'm starting to return to this emotional person that, oh, is my wife going to talk to me today? I don't even want to admit that. And she's, I, I will say, honestly, she's, you know, become more of a sexual person as the life, as the life goes, as the life goes on. But do you see there's a plan there's, that takes place that um, is God's design, God's will, and um, God's desire, and it's always under his plan for the purpose of blessing. Number five, sex in the context of God's plan will give you a spirit of rejoicing. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to have joy. Everybody wants to be able to say, ah, I'm a person that is filled and a person that is rejoicing. That's what we want. Therefore, how much money could I get to get to the point of rejoicing? How much sex do I get to get to the person to rejoice in the sense of this person or that person? How much, what is going to give me to this heart of rejoicing as we're all longing for it? Well, if you look at God's plan, it says, may your fountain be blessed, your sexual life be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. There's a rejoicing that takes place inside of this relationship, inside of this sexual relationship. Number six, six, number six, sex, whatever. Six, sex, <laughs> that's why I can't say it, six, sex. Yeah, six, six, sex. Yeah, never mind. Number six, sex in the context of God's plan will satisfy you. Satisfaction, is it ever going to take place in your life? I heard a counselor um, once say that um, when you get married, you have to be more sexually controlled than you are before. You believe that? After you get married, you have to be more sexually controlled than you are before. And the reason why is because sex carries such a power and such an, an addiction, and, and it almost even... It, almost, it even carries a hunger that if you start a sex life, it's like, oh, I want more, I want more, I want more, I want, I want more, I want more. And then all of a sudden we start stepping over people, stepping over our wives, stepping over our husbands, well, mostly stepping over our wives. <laughs> maybe, maybe not, maybe it's stepping over your husbands. But what happens is it does carry such a power that it takes control for a person to step back and say, I don't want what's my best interest in mind. I want to give my wife what her best interest in mind. Because when you start talking about sex, there is some chemistry that goes there that is not necessarily the act of sex that is going to fulfill your wife's, your wife's heart. Um, your wife is crying out, am I beautiful? Am I gorgeous? Wife is, is crying out, am I valued? Did you know that you can devalue your wife, you can ruin your wife inside of a marriage relationship by just being addicted to the act of sex? And being addicted to the act of sex, you're no longer treating her as a human, a person, but you're treating her as possibly being used, possibly even being abused, in a sense of all I do is give it to him, give it to him, give it to him, but he doesn't love me as a person. So, so yeah, sex can satisfy you, but there's a whole context around sex that is God's plan that says, I want to make this whole, I want to make it rich, and I want to make it strong for you, Therefore, it might even take a little more control, self-control, one of the fruits of the Spirit, inside your marriage than even outside um, of, of your marriage. Um, Proverbs five fifteen: may her breasts satisfy you always. 
we are in a culture right now where you just press a button and you can see breasts. You can see thousands of them everywhere. Go on the internet. They're just all over the place. We're living in a culture right now where our children are doing it at 8 years old, 9 years old, 10 years old, and our children are seeing and being, being just completely overloaded by sexual, by sexual images. And what's taking place is when that sexual images come, what happens is that addiction starts to rise, that addiction starts to be strong, that addiction starts to captivate you, and then we walk into a marriage. And when we walk into a marriage, you get one set of breasts. Sorry, just to say it the way it is. You get one set of breasts. You get one lady, and then outside of marriage, you get a thousand. See, what's taking place is that sexual, and I'm just going to speak specifically of men, and I want to say women are having problems with it too, but I'm talking a really a lot about men because I'm a man, and I understand its chemistry. So and a lady would come up here, and they'd understand the chemistry a lot more than I could. So, but I'll just continue to talk about specifically men. What happens, you see a thousand of them, it's going to increase your drive. It's going to increase your passion. Do you know how many marriages are struggling right now? That are looking, men walking in the office saying, I, I am so sexually unfulfilled. I am so frustrated with sex. I'm so angry at our sex life. And, um, and it's like, well, why are you angry? It's because I don't get enough. I don't get what I'm looking for. I don't get what I want. Well, those are first cues that that person has probably taken everything outside and is now bringing it inside of their marriage. And his sex life is this high, and when it is this high, the frustration starts to take place because I've grabbed all this, and this is no longer what I'm looking for because this is treating me object, and now I'm sleeping with a person, and it automatically comes as object. It automatically comes more of a hunger than anything else. See, what takes place is that if your wife's breasts are going to satisfy you, your wife's, your mind has to be protected. The mind has to be protected because looking outside of what God has given you is going to come into your bed because it is into your mind and what is into your mind, your wife's going to go, I can't keep up. I can't do what you want to do. I can't, I don't understand what's going on. And there's actually a disorder and a dislove in regards to your sex life. God's making a statement, your wife's and let your wife's breast satisfy you and you alone is making a statement, make sure that that is protected and make sure that those rules, those boundaries of what I have given you are there. Because if you do, then is when your wife's breast will satisfy you more than you could possibly understand. And it is in the context of the best, most satisfying plan for your life. Number seven, sex in the context of God's plan will make you sloppy, drunk, in love. Whew. <laughs> That's Bible, just to let you know. <laughs> Proverbs. I'm sorry, I'm giving a lot of men here. And the men are going, yeah, yeah, I understand, I understand, I understand. Well, you know, that's, you know, and it's not, yeah, anyway, we'll keep on going. Proverbs. May you ever be intoxicated by her love. Who be intoxicated, my son, by an adulteress. Why embrace the boast of another man's wife? Be intoxicated. Other translations are be captivated. Um, and we're going to even look at another translation later on when we get even more detailed. Another translation that is just powerful 
sloppy, drunk. It is explaining the emotions that happen to you where you, and I'll tell you how men work, where a sex life is good inside of your relationship, you drive down the road all by yourself and say, my wife is the most wonderful person I ever have in my life when you're completely sexually satisfied. My wife is so beautiful. My wife is so good. Maybe I should buy her flowers. Maybe I, I, This is the way the mind of a man works. It takes you and captivates you and makes you into sloppy drunk of, in a sense, I love her so much. You see the power? God gave sex to carry a power for a reason. And that power and that reason is so we will get connected further than any other relationship that is out there. That we will get connected, that we will understand, that we will love our husbands and our wives further than any relationship out there. So here we have one. Why be intoxicated? Why be sloppy drunk over an image that's on the computer screen? Why be sloppy drunk from somebody that lives next door that is, you know, texting you and says, I want to sleep with you? Why be sloppy drunk in that area? Because when I tell you when you're sloppy drunk, all, not that I've ever been, I've never been sloppy drunk, <laughs> but when, when you are, what you're doing is you are completely consumed by something. That's what this passage is saying. You are completely consumed, completely controlled, completely wasted by something. Why be wasted to that on the screen? Why be wasted that on somebody else besides your wife when you could have it inside of your marriage? I know God knows what's best for you, and he's given us that description. Number eight, scriptures give us a blessed beauty in sex under God's plan and a a cursed disgrace outside of it. God is the one that created sex. God is the one that put the hardware together. God is the one that gave it to us for the purpose of blessing, for the purpose of life, for the purpose of fellowship, for the purpose of connection. And inside of this plan, you're going to find everything you want. Outside of the plan, you're going to find disgrace. I'm going to read um, Proverbs chapter 5, and I didn't put it up on the screen because I added a little bit, and I don't want you guys to think that I, um, you know, added things to scripture. So I would just put it down there. But this is what it's saying. And as it's saying this, remember that in Proverbs, what they are doing is they are teaching young people, men teaching young guys. I'm sorry, it is not, it is not girls in this, but our girls can understand how it works. There is a class of young guys, and this person is coming up here and is teaching them an extreme amount of wisdom in regards to sexuality. And listen to him preach to these young guys. My son, speaking to those young guys, my son, Pay attention to my wisdom. He is telling his class, you had better listen, and you better listen absolutely right now because I know what's best for you. Listen well to the words of insight. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. And if you go near to the door of her house, you will give your strength to others and your years to a cruel one. Strangers will feast on your wealth, and at the end of your life you will groan, and your flesh and your body are spent. You will come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Do you see the passion for the Word of God? That stop, don't do it. But then it gives you something else. Go this direction. Find satisfaction in your wife's naked body. 
this is my interpretation, I'm sorry, but it says the same thing. Find satisfaction in your wife's naked body. Quench your thirst from her beauty. Should you throw your sperm in the streets with ones that you don't know, ones that you don't commit to, ones that you don't care about? Let, her see, let your seed be yours and yours alone, never to be shared with the other woman. May your sex life be everything you ever wanted, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. May her breath satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated, sloppy, drunk in love with your woman. That's a correct translation. Why be intoxicated, my son, by an adulteress? Why would you embrace somebody outside your wife? The cords of sin will hold you fast if you do it, and you will die for the lack of discipline. Two things are taking place. Don't do this and curses is given. And the other thing is taking place. Do this and extreme blessing is given and there is no happy medium in the middle. There is no little, okay, I won't play with tamper with sex. No, whenever you start tamper with sex, you go this far direction of being cursed and you go this far direction of being blessed and nobody literally rests in the middle. And therefore, when Proverbs is speaking, the Proverbs gets extremely aggressive to say, go after and be intoxicated, or stay away and be cursed. It's consistent all the way through the Bible. That when sex is brought up, it seems like it goes right to the heart of every single person. Do not do, in specifically. Let's look at Proverbs 30. The eye that mocks a father, that scorns obedience to a mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by vultures. <laughs> you read the Bible? It's like, when do you read that and go, goodness, that's disgusting. Well, if you look at that, your eye will what? Be pecked out by ravens and the vultures will eat it in the valleys. You probably think he's probably going to start talking about sex. <laughs> you know why? Because he's like, i got to wake people up i got to say something that's going to get people's attention. Well, guess what? He is going to talk about sex. There are three things that are too amazing for me. Four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. And you look at that and go, what in the world? You're not talking about sex. You're talking about an eagle that's flying. You're talking about a snake on a rock. You're talking about a ship in the high seas. This author that is writing this is fascinated by something. And, and the thing that is something is the, uh, the, the eagle in the sky is sailing. The snake on the rock is roasting. And what's taking place? The ship on the high seas is floating there is an emotional excitement that is taking place in this regard. And you don't see that as you just read it really fast. But there's an emotional excitement. And then at the end of the emotional excitement, three things are awesome. But let me give you the fourth one that gives an example of the emotional excitement that takes place. It is what? The person with the maiden. He's giving you a description. Don't get your eyes plucked out by a raven. Stop it. They will eat it in the valley Look at something that is whole. Look at something that is rich. Look at something that is beautiful. Next time you read Scripture and you start seeing something really gross, I bet it's going to start talking about sex. Because God is very, very serious 
All right, in the beginning, God made some laws. When he made some laws, he says, okay, let's make a sex law. Here's a sex law for you. Deuteronomy 22, if a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. (laughs) I'm serious because sex is serious. And it is going to consume the culture, consume the nation, consume people if it's not obeyed under my guidelines. If a man is found lying with a married woman, the both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel because as soon as it gets started, it's, it's ugly. Now that's the law. So we don't kill anybody that commits adultery then because Christ came in with the grace and uh, in those pieces. But what's this verse saying? This verse is saying, you are dealing with something powerful and I'm dealing with some emotion that is going against the thing that you're dealing with that is powerful. And yet we live in a culture where it's not easy. It's simple. It's exposable. It's, it's a piece of cake. It's not a problem. In and out relationships. The Bible doesn't say that. Jude 1.7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, they serve as what? An example of undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah, it's brought up all the way through the New Testament. Why was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed, blasted with fire, completely wiped out? Is it because they were greedy? Is it because they were you know, liars? Is it because they were prosperous? Why were they blasted out? It was in regards to sex, and this verse says it serves as an example that it is a fire that you do not want to play with. And if you play with it outside of God's plan, then you're going to get burned. You're going to get destroyed. You're going to be ruined. It's also a blessing inside of God's plan. Therefore, hang on to that. Here, it goes the other direction. Proverbs 5, 19. Be ravished always with her love. Sorry, I had to throw some King James in there a little bit. <laughs> ravished. What does ravished mean? This is the same word that I got captivated and intoxicated. Ravished means seized and carried off by somebody with force. Almost a sense of rape. <laughs> Carried off by somebody with force. But what's interesting, look at it. This verse is backwards. Nobody's being raped. You have your wife, and as you have your wife, just her beauty is ravishing you. Her beauty is carrying you off. Your beauty is captivating you. Her beauty has a heart, an emotion that is inside of you that carries a desire that we have sexually that our children have sexually you see that there is power power that goes one side and also power that goes the other side now if you look at um i tell you i have a i have a, a mission in regards to being graphic but if you also look at all the verses that were mentioned i haven't talked about song of Solomon. <laughs> You know, we think, of, oh, a Song of Solomon, you know, that's a, it's, a, it's a really th- sec, uh, really thick verse about sex, but we talk about Proverbs, we're talking about Deuteronomy, we're talking about Judges. Um, I'm not going to talk about Song of Solomon, because if I do, I'd probably get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but I will tell you, go read it yourself. But when you read it, I want to give you some terms that um, are really being said in regards to what's taking place. Whenever you hear the word, my own vineyard, it's not talking about grapes. It's talking about her specific body. When you hear the word of dove, 
symbolizes innocence, gentleness, purity, indicating that she is a virgin when you read Song of Solomon's. This is Hebrew art that has a lot of meaning inside where God can give you an amazing book that a child can read and not understand. But if you really start studying it, it gets thick. Lovesick means overcome with sexual passion. Embrace does not mean a hug. It means you're fondling her vulva. Um, until the day breaks means she wants it to last all night long. This is in the Bible. I'm sorry. You know, just it counts me out. Wouldn't it be great if I preached on the book of Song of Solomon? That's why nothing's on paper here. Feet among the lilies, referring to the kissing among the tender parts of each of the body. Wine is a symbol of supreme pleasure, and let my beloved come to the garden is a Hebrew word that literally means enter in. And in Genesis, they even, they even you know, took it in Genesis and made it not sound enter in. Genesis 16, 2, um, we see it was not enter in. They just called it sexuality. But it means penetration. Honey and milk are under the tongue, points to the depth of fullness of the kissing that takes place. Breasts were like towers. Now that is just really not attractive. Breasts like towers, but there is a there's a meaning behind breasts with towers. What is the meaning? Well, towers, the walls of the city, were the first thing that people saw. And I will tell you that they were captivated by the first thing that they saw. And the reason why they captivated the first thing they saw is because if they were going to enter the city, they would be completely distracted about the force, the power, and the strength behind its walls. And that's where they're captivated. How do you get over the walls? How do you work against the walls? How do you fight against the walls? So when you're talking about the towers of the walls of the city, there's an enemy that is very large, very consuming, very strong, very powerful, and boy, I see it more than anything else. When he's saying, the breasts, he's saying, oh my goodness, look at them, and there is a captivation that takes place meaning from the, uh, the, um, the Hebrew language, poetry language. Second, um, oh, this is not this verse. Upon the mountains of Beth, Bether, it means run your hands and mouth over the contours of the entire body. Shade, fruit, apple tree. We just think they're, fra- they're shade, fruit, apple tree. They're actually erotic symbols. Extra biblical literature explains that apples and fruit as symbols of male genitals and indicating her oral genitals being caressed. The scent of her perfumes is those that she produces naturally, not what she is wearing, and orchards and pomegranates depict the beauty of her. Yeah, it gets, it gets graphic. So rivers of water, abundant natures of moisture that she produces ready to be, ready to be penetrated. And then do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. What does that refer to in Second, our Song of Solomon. He's talking about the experience of lovemaking is so powerful that we get aroused to do it when we're not supposed to. We get aroused to do it before we're married. We get captivated to do it when we're supposed to play another thing, not supposed to be hanging on to it, supposed to be under control. But it, what does it do? It awakens before it is time to literally awaken sexually. This is what is going on inside of our children. <laughs> Just let you know. This is what's going on inside of 
of us. What's taking place is the Bible doesn't hold back when it talks about sex because the Bible has given an explanation that it specifically has power. And if you don't believe it, why is our nation being swept away from it? By it. If you don't believe it, why are our children being so captivated by it? Why are we being so captivated? Why are marriages being split? Why are families being completely destroyed? Is it just because we don't get along? Or is there something that's so powerful inside of your marriage relationship that is carrying hearts in different directions as we're trying to find guidelines around, around this, this monster? There's a reason why the Bible is so graphic. And uh, we look over it, we don't say it, but uh, this is the reason I think the, the Bible is so graphic. Um, number 10, many liberals are cursed with disgrace as they live outside of God's plan for sex. Bible is so graphic because it is keeping up or even going beyond our sexuality because we have a God that literally created it and knows how it works, how it functions, and it is good, it is healthy. But liberals have taken a direction and they have been completely cursed in that regards. Listen to it, listen to it, listen to it. The pages of Scripture are crying out. I understand what people are viewing. I understand what people are seeing. I understand the images and the graphic content that's over the entire world. I understand that. I understand it so much that if you look in my Bible, <laughs> you can see it, that it's good. You can see that it's, it's healthy. You can see that it's okay. You can see that it's clean, but don't take it out of the direction of my plan. Don't take it out of the direction of my plan. God is telling you, I know what sex is and what turns people on and the power of it. And it's explained in Song of Solomon. But then there's a scream, don't take it out of my plan. And when liberals do, or if you do, or if people do, there's curses outside of it. Number 10, this is going to throw us off into next lesson next week. Many conservatives are cursed and disgraced as they live in guilt, shame, and isolation because they haven't found the beauty of sex. Next week we're going to talk about um, speaking to our children. Um, it will be PG, just to let you know. <laughs> it's not going to be, it's not going to be um, aggressive. This one's the rated R. But it will be, be PG. Um, but what's taken place is there is... The church is training our children and raising our children in regards to the topic of sex. I'm just going to tell you what I believe, and you completely, differ, completely disagree with me. But I would say we're doing it wrong. Uh, we're doing it wrong. Um, and the reason why I say this, I'm sorry, it's huge convictions. You can see it. <laughs> you can probably see it inside of me of the, the huge convictions because next week we'll talk about how you know, to speak specifically to children about sex. But where are we doing it wrong? Number one is there's too much silence. There's too much guilt. Um, there's too much, uh, I'm not going to say it, there's too much hiding in the sense that it never happens. So here we have kids that are, are having this inside of the home and then they're walking out into the school and all of a sudden this whole array of stuff is opened up that they have inside of themselves to say, why do I have these feelings? The home is silent, the church is silent, and the kids are exposed um, to the world. The reason why it's so aggressive is to say, stop, 
Sex is beautiful. Sex is awesome in my plan. Sex is what I have given married couples to have. Don't treat your children in a sense, or even act like your children in a sense, or even speak to your children in a sense, that they would walk into their marriage and say, I can't be sexual, and that's what we're training our children. Church says, I can't be sexual. The nature is saying, be sexual, and our children are specifically confused. We also have people, and this takes work, but we have people inside of marriages and relationships as they are inside of marriage and relationships, they are having sex with their husband. They are having sex with their wife. And in the process of doing it under God's plan, they feel guilty. process of doing it under God's plan, they feel shame. In the process of doing it under God's plan, they feel like it's still dirty. Where do they get that? <laughs> they don't get it from the Word of God. <laughs> because if you look at Song of Solomon, there is a display that it is not... It is a gift. But if we're not going to push that, we're not going to drive that to say it is a gift. The desires that you do have, the desires that you do want, is something you can celebrate instead of something that you can hide. I don't want to be a sexual person because if I'm a sexual person, uh, it's just against my nature. And we try to keep that against our nature. It's not against our nature. It is for our nature. And inside of our nature, of what God has designed, it is for it in the context that it was originally designed for and nothing but that direction. So next week we're going to talk about how do you speak to our children? How do you speak to our culture? How do you use the Word of God and all the explicit things that are inside of it and say, okay, what is going on and why did God make it so graphic and so explicit? Why did God get so crazy and wild in regards to that topic of, of sex? And if he's crazy and wild in regards to the topic of sex, as you look at Song of Solomon, how do I speak to my child? Do I start saying just the way that Proverbs is? I would say no. But how do, we, how do we do it? So next week we're going to be looking at that, but I will say that liberals have taken sex, they've taken it for a drive, and they're being cursed. Conservatives are taking sex, they're saying, okay, don't speak about it, don't talk about it, don't let anything happen, don't let people think it's beautiful, don't think it's wonderful, and then people are living in guilt in that process. The Bible sits in the middle of either one of those. The Bible gives us glory inside of its plan, rather than curses on both of the outside.